It brings me great joy to introduce uh, our next speaker. David Swanson is the founding pastor of New Community Covenant Church, an intentionally multiracial congregation on the south side of Chicago. He is the CEO of New Community Outreach, a nonprofit organization that seeks to reduce the causes of trauma and raise opportunities for equity in Chicago. He's married to Maggie, and they have uh, two sons, Elliot and Winston. And like many of my friendships over the past five to seven years, they have come uh, by virtue of social media. And I've really enjoyed meeting so many people through that platform. That's really a re really wonderful, redemptive component of social media beyond the cesspool that is often the comments and tweets and such. And so um, I've, I've been really blessed to connect with David to see um, his reflections on the gospel and his particular context. And so uh, this is his first time here in, in, in our church. And um, whenever he tweets something out or uh, Facebook something, I'm taken aback, brought to reflection a wonderfully pastoral and prophetic voice uh, in our time. And so, like we do with everyone, uh, we want to give him uh, the biggest uh, welcome. And he's, listen, he's, he's wearing a bow tie as well. And so, you know he's going to bring it uh, this morning. Let's give David a Queens Boulevard welcome. Give it up for him. Good morning. Good morning. I somehow feel like it's very appropriate that the only white speaker of our conference follows uh, that beautiful. Can we just thank Dean one more time? I'm going to be preaching this morning from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there now. Acts chapter 11, verses 20, or excuse me, verses 19 through 26, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and verses 49 through 52. A quick word of thanks to you, New Life. Your witness and testimony is known around the country. I dare say around the world, uh, many of us look to Queens Boulevard uh, to know what it is that God is saying to the church and what it looks like to be uh, faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ in our day. So I commend you and I urge you to continue to be faithful. Your ministry is perhaps larger than you would imagine. Thanks also to Pastor Rich for your holistic ministry. That's the word I always use uh, for you. I look forward to continuing to follow you and your example. To our other uh, speakers as well, I feel as the Apostle Paul said about himself as one abnormally born among these amazing speakers and presenters. And then finally, I got to shout out my parents are here, Kevin and Linda Swanson from Metro Community Church. So if you sense like some beaming pride from somewhere in the room, it's probably there. Anything good I say, they get the credit for. Anything you don't like, I need you to take it up with uh, Dr. Michael Carrion here on the front row. 
because the man has been a very bad influence in my life. Uh, in our church, if you're able, we stand for the reading of God's word. Would you mind standing this morning if you are able? Acts chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets, uh, excuse me, let me jump ahead to chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then jumping to verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. From this passage this morning, I'm preaching from the title, The Spirit of Reconciliation. The Spirit of Reconciliation. And I say I'm preaching because I'm a preacher. That's what I know how to do. We've had some amazing teaching. We've had some history, some sociology, but I'm a preacher. I've got my preaching clothes on this morning. So I need you to be my congregation this morning. Can you do? I know it's not Sunday, but can we be the church together this morning? Amen. 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 Earlier this year, I was having coffee with a, a friend of mine who pastors a multiracial church in Seattle. And toward the end of our conversation, he asked me something like this. In this moment, what do you think is the most important thing for churches like ours to be paying attention to? His question surprised me. It's not something that I had thought very much about. But even more surprising was how quickly I had an answer. And I said something like this. I said, I think the most important thing for churches like ours to, to pay attention to, to prioritize, to lean into is the, is the Holy Spirit. Like I said, neither, neither my friend's important question nor my immediate response were things that I had previously thought much about. And so I've been, I've been reflecting on this a lot since that moment. And here's the thing. I wouldn't change my answer. I truly believe that for churches 
churches which are intentionally pursuing racial justice, the most important thing for us in this moment is our complete and total dependency on the Holy Spirit. And as I've been rolling this around in my mind, I've been drawn back to the stories of those first Christians. In some ways, the entire book of Acts is the Holy Spirit story. But then there are these vignettes when the immense gravity of the Holy Spirit's presence is is unmistakable. And I think the story of the church in Antioch is one of those moments. What we find here in these verses is that in Antioch, the Holy Spirit empowered culturally diverse leaders in order to establish a reconciling church. Now, I've pastored our racially and ethnically diverse congregation for close to 10 years now. Our neighborhood, as Pastor Rich said, is on the south side of Chicago in a majority African-American neighborhood. Our our church is comprised of those who are black and Asian-American and white in roughly equal numbers. And by the way, I'm, I'm white. I'm very white. I'm one of those people who, who Nikki was talking about. The, the clothes fit pretty well on this six foot one frame, if you hear what I'm saying. So things get complicated and messy in our church. We saw some of that yesterday when New Life pulled back the veil behind some of the workings at this church as well. We understand that. There's plenty of room for miscommunication in our congregation, but also for the impacts of our racist society to be felt through a comment, through an assumption, or through the visible disparities inflicted by the systems that different ones of us navigate in different sorts of ways every single day. Our little congregation is not immune to the gun violence, to the predatory lending, to the occasions of police brutality, and to educational disenfranchisement that is inflicted upon areas of our community. We feel the tensions of racial and ethnic hostilities in our neighborhoods, even as we seek to faithfully stand in solidarity with our neighbors in resistance to unjust policies, and to those instances of profound racial trauma. Now, I mention all of this only to say that I cannot imagine our diverse congregation pursuing the ministry of reconciliation and justice without the Holy Spirit's power. I just can't picture it. The injustices are too deeply entrenched. The lineages of trauma, as we just heard so profoundly, are too ancient. On many days, it can seem like racism will win. As though our racial hierarchy and its inevitable sufferings will prevail. And in response to similar evils, the church in Antioch, And their complete dependence on the Holy Spirit has a whole lot to teach us today. Within an empire that was rife with ethnic divisions and class injustices, they resisted the status quo and they charted a new course. And I have to wonder, could the same be true for us? So today, I want us to believe that Holy Spirit-empowered rebels will defy racial oppression with the gospel of reconciliation. Can I say it again? 
I want us to believe that Holy Spirit-empowered rebels will defy this nation's racial oppression with the gospel of reconciliation. Within a nation that has been built upon stolen land and plundered bodies and supremacist ideologies, we need a Holy Spirit rebellion. We need a rebellion that defies our society's oppression with the good and the beautiful news of Christ's reconciliation. So in these vignettes from the church in Antioch, I believe that we can see three ways that the Holy Spirit instigates our rebellion. The first is that the Holy Spirit disrupts the status quo. The second is that the Holy Spirit nurtures reconciliation. And finally, the Holy Spirit preserves the church. The first way the Holy Spirit instigates our rebellion is by disrupting the status quo. Somebody say disrupting. Now, it's maybe a little hard to see this right from our passage, but if you zoom out, I think it becomes pretty clear. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, don't leave Jerusalem just yet, but stay here until the gift that my Father promised you is poured out. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with water the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out and and the church explodes. The church grows through powerful preaching and and healing and, and fellowship and impure spirits are cast out. There's momentum. There's great momentum in the first few chapters. And then the persecution starts. As Mark reminded us yesterday, it begins with the high priest and Stephen is stoned. And by chapter eight, the church has to scatter from Jerusalem, seeking refuge throughout the empire. And our passage tells us that some who had been persecuted went to Antioch. Now, Antioch is located in what today we think of as the country of Turkey. It was a large city, the third largest in the empire, hundreds of thousands of people. It was cosmopolitan. It was was ethnically and and nationally diverse. It was was diverse in all kinds of ways, religiously and And even the Olympics were held in Antioch in the year 43, perhaps the same year that Paul and Barnabas were. Things were happening in Antioch. And the passage tells us that some of those who were fleeing the persecution wound up in Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, not just Jewish people anymore, telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is important because this is the first time that the church voluntarily shared the gospel with Gentiles. Hadn't happened yet. Jews and Greeks together in the same room, worshiping, fellowshipping. There there seems to be a a holy disruption, a Holy Spirit-fueled disruption that's happening. Or maybe not. Antioch is a diverse city. Cultural lines are being crossed all the time in Antioch. So so maybe it was inevitable that the church became reconciled at Antioch. Maybe it was just a matter of time. But I'm skeptical. Because my city of Chicago is pretty diverse. And Reverend Brenda, you know if you go downtown in Chicago, there's all kind of people working together, eating together, walking down the sidewalks together. And then at the end of the day, guess what we do? 
We get on our cars, we get on the L, we get on the train, and we go back to our segregated communities, our segregated suburbs and neighborhoods. And so I'm not so sure that the, the reconciliation that happened in Antioch was inevitable. I think it was a Holy Spirit disruption. Again, think about the, the bigger picture here. Christ promised the, the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Cool. And in Judea. All right. And in Samaria, ah, ah, and to the ends of the earth, mm, 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 no. And then Pentecost comes, and, and there's people, there's God-fearing Jews from around the world speaking all kinds of different languages, and they can all understand the gospel of Jesus that's being proclaimed by the, by the church. And then in chapter 6, we have the, the Hellenistic and the Hebraic widows. And, and there's a power differential here. And, and this thing's got to be figured out. And what's the church going to do? Is it going to succumb to the ways of the world? No. Guided by the Holy Spirit, power is given away. And everybody's needs are met in the early church. In chapter 8, Philip is sent where? To Samaria with the gospel. And, and then he, he's sent to baptize the, the, the Ethiopian official in the wilderness. But by, by chapter 8, the gospel's literally making its way to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, there's Peter. Peter in chapter 10, who I would say begrudgingly makes his way to Caesarea, to the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Gentile, because he doesn't have to just talk to Cornelius. He doesn't have to just share the gospel with Cornelius. He got to eat some food with Cornelius. And that's where things get problematic. And Peter, with his classic lack of tact, stands up at that, at that, at that potluck and he says, you're all aware that I'm not supposed to be here. You're all aware it's against the law and I'm kind of offended that I even have to be here. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or in unclean. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a lot of hallelujahs and clapping after that testimony. Like, Peter, you got to get your stuff together. The Holy Spirit, we see, communicates cross-culturally. The Holy Spirit fosters cultural equity. The Holy Spirit sends its leaders to their enemies and to foreigners. The Holy Spirit, within the first few chapters, is shattering religious taboos. It's a disruptive momentum that's building up to Antioch. It starts with some individuals, then it moves into the households. And, and by the time the Holy Spirit disruption reaches Antioch, holy, whole cities are exploding with this Holy Spirit disruption. And it's a pattern that continues through the book of Acts. There was nothing inevitable about this. And the reason I feel so confident about this is that Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he reflects back and he says, after, after this moment, Peter came and he succumbed to the old ways. When certain Jewish people of the circumcision party came, Paul says, he, he refused to eat with Gentiles any longer. So that by his example, even Barnabas was led astray. You see, everything around that church in Antioch pointed the other way. Everything around them pointed to class divisions and, and ethnic divisions and, and religious hostility. Everything around them pointed to the injustices of the empire as the status quo. But in verse 21, the Lord's hand 
was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Spirit of God disrupted the status quo. And so we see in the church in Acts that, that women are going to lead, that the poor will be privileged, that the advantages of religion and class and ethnicity have got to be laid aside at the communion table. We see that in the empire where Caesar was proclaimed as Lord with his own gospel, with his face on, on the coins, with statues to himself all over the cities, in this kind of environment, the Holy Spirit empowered the church to say, no, we have only one Lord, and his name is Jesus, no matter the cost that will come our way. There's a Holy Spirit trajectory of disruption that we see in Acts. Some of you might say, well, I know this disruption. Being a Christian is being disrupted by the Holy Spirit. Is there any bigger disruption than just getting saved? Or how about being, being convicted for your sin? That's a, that's a disruption, would you not agree? Or maybe being called to the ministry of reconciliation. That's a Holy Spirit disruption. And I would agree. There are absolutely personal moments of Holy Spirit disruption, but what I want us to focus on today, what we can see in the church in Antioch and, and elsewhere is the societal status quo is shaken up by this Holy Spirit-empowered rebellion. Yes, there's an individual shaking up that happens, but, but, but when the Holy Spirit rebellion comes to a city, the status quo of the city is shaken up. And so we see that there's persecution in Jerusalem and there's confusion in Athens and there's political opposition in Thess Thessalonica. There's riots and mobs in, in, in Ephesus. There's capital punishment in Rome. This is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit disruption comes into a city. So we need to ask this morning, is the Holy Spirit disrupting us? Again, not individually corporately, in our cities, in our towns, in our suburbs? Is there a Holy Spirit disruption that is happening? 400 years ago, this coming August, 40 to 50 women and men from the West African region of Angola were sold to English settlers in Hampton, Virginia. As best we can tell, these were the first people sold into slavery in this country. A part of a slave trade that began in 1501 and went to 1867. A slave trade that after it was all over, had trafficked in at least 12.5 million children, women, and men. Kidnapped, enslaved, tortured. Bring it forward a few hundred years ago. A hundred years ago in my city of Chicago, a young man by the name of Eugene Williams on a hot July day wanted to cool off. So he and some friends made a homemade raft and they pushed it out into Lake Michigan just off the city shore. And they were playing around, goofing around as young people do. And, and accidentally their homemade raft drifted into the white area of the lake. Because you know there's a black area and there's a white area. And a white man was standing on the shore, George Stauber, looking at these men, and he couldn't have it. So he began picking up heavy stones, throwing it at the raft until he eventually hit Eugene in the head, who fell beneath the water and drowned. 
Riots were inflamed as white gangs crossed the the line of segregation, of demarcation, where African Americans could not move from terrorizing our neighborhood, shooting and burning. When it was all over, the vast majority of those who were killed and wounded were the African American people who could not leave that neighborhood. Is the Holy Spirit disrupting our status quo? It's a question we need to ask ourselves about today. Because of the legacy of housing discrimination today, the median white wealth is 12 times that of black wealth. One in four black households today, again, because of that same legacy, holds zero to negative net worth compared with one in 10 white families. Today, Asian Americans make on average $5 an hour less than similarly educated white people. Asian Americans today are less likely than whites to be approved for home loans and and even less likely if the home they're interested in is in a largely white area. Today, African American infants are twice as likely to die before their first birthday than our white babies. This is a larger disparity than in 1850, 15 years before slavery ended. Today, black mothers are three to four times more likely to die from complications in pregnancy than our white mothers. A reality that researchers are more and more attributed to the systemic racism that these black mothers face on a day-to-day basis. Today in Florida, An African-American person convicted of a crime will get twice the time that a white person convicted of the same crime will get. Today, black preschool children are three and a half times, did I say preschool children? Preschool. Preschool children are three and a half times more likely to be expelled than are white preschool children. A reality that researchers attribute to the implicit bias of their preschool teachers. Today, voting laws are being passed that have been proven in court to be intentionally disenfranchising voters of color. According to the Centers for Disease Control, Native Americans in this country are more likely than anybody else to be killed by police. Something as basic as water. In Chicago today, If you live in a black neighborhood, you're going to pay 20% more for your water than if you live in a white neighborhood. Is the Holy Spirit disrupting our status quo? When I say that our American status quo is white supremacy, I don't have in mind hoods and torches, though we've, we've seen some of that lately. No, I have in mind a, a cultural operating system which systematically advances those on one end of the racial hierarchy at the material expense of those on the other. White supremacy legitimizes segregation and wealth inequality and educational inequity. White supremacy justifies native genocide and land theft, kidnapping, torture, rape, and enslavement. Slandering. Latino and Latina image bearers of the living God as invaders and criminals and rapists. 
White supremacy ignores besieged communities, ignores bodies made sick by racism and self-hatred, ignores children and young people who are desperate and sometimes dying. Our white supremacy status quo looks like listening to my Latino and Latina pastor friends lament shrinking churches because their congregants fear deportation or arrest by ICE, regardless of their immigration status. It looks like asking a room of black youth if they know somebody who's in prison and every hand raising to the sky. Our white supremacy status quo looks like asking a different room of African-American young people if they've personally experienced gun violence in my city and every hand immediately being raised. White supremacy status quo looks like debates about border walls and immigration policies without any shame whatsoever for the land theft and and broken treaties and massacres that displace the people who used to call those places home. Our white supremacy status quo looks like our president calling the white nationalists in Charlottesville some some very fine people who've just been untreated, who've been treated unfairly by the press. And, And after yesterday's massacre in the New Zealand mosques by a self-described, self-identified white nationalist, that same president telling the press that no, no terrorist acts like these by this white supremacist are not a growing threat that we need to take seriously, but can simply be written off as as a small group of people that have some very serious problems. But if we're to be honest this morning, because we are Christian people, our white supremacy status quo is also churches. Especially white churches, but, but not only which have not seen the conflict between our nation's status quo and the kingdom of God. And so rather than living in risky defiance to racial oppression, we have looked away too often. We have placed band-aids over festering trauma. We have baptized the status quo by never calling it out. But you see, the church in Antioch disrupted the status quo. The text tells us that the disciples were first known as Christians in Antioch. They they looked so much like Jesus. They talked so much like Jesus. They moved so much in the power of the Holy Spirit that the surrounding culture was like, well, I don't know what what we're going to, what are Christians doing now? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they stood out. They were citizens of the kingdom of God. Their allegiance was to to Jesus Christ alone. Their lives and their communities testified to another way to live. They were at odds with the status quo. Are we disrupting the status quo? I'd like to suggest that if the answer is no, there's one of two reasons. It's either because we believe that the status quo of our nation aligns with the kingdom of God. And let's be honest, there are some who do. Or we ourselves have succumbed to the status quo. 
But friends, the gospel is incompatible with white supremacy. The gospel of Jesus Christ is incompatible with anything that privileges some at the expense of others. The gospel of Jesus Christ is incompatible with anything that exploits land and plunders people for somebody else's power. So could we be humble enough today to ask, where have I surrendered to this nation's status quo? Could we be humble enough to pray today, Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom and the courage to disrupt this nation's status quo with your gospel of reconciliation. The second way the Holy Spirit instigates our rebellion is by nurturing our reconciliation. The Jerusalem church hears what's going on in Antioch and they send Barnabas, which was a great decision because Barnabas was culturally Hellenistic, but he was a Levite. He was Jewish to the bone. He was a great reconciler. His name was a nickname. It meant son of encouragement, which is just what that church needed. A man of full of faith. And full of the Holy Spirit, a good man. He came, he encouraged, and he nurtured the church. You see, it's not enough for us to disrupt the status quo. Jesus brought the kingdom of God near. And so the church is to embody and to express the kingdom of God. This is what Barnabas and Paul do. They they nurture the reconciliation that's happening in that that church. They they encourage, they, they taught, they worshiped, they prayed, and they fasted. And this was a deep reconciliation. This was not a surface reconciliation. This was not diversity for the sake of attracting more people. The church leaders themselves were reconciled. You have Barnabas, of course. There's Simeon, an African with some kind of a Jewish heritage. There's there's Lucius from from what we would now think of as Libya. There's Manan, who was the foster foster brother to Herod, who beheaded John the Baptist and who helped preside over Jesus' execution. And then there was Saul, the educated, probably pretty privileged Jewish man from Tarsus. And these leaders shared power across lines of culture and class and ethnicity as a reflection of Jesus' reconciliation. Too many of our own justice efforts leave the status quo intact. We paper over injustice with spiritual platitudes. But this was not the case in Antioch. The Holy Spirit was nurturing a deep reconciliation in Antioch. The Holy Spirit led through Paul. The Holy Spirit gifted prophets and teachers. The Holy Spirit spoke audibly to the church. The Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Paul on mission. In other words, there was no way to accurately understand the church in Antioch without understanding the Holy Spirit's presence. Can the same be said about us and our efforts for justice? Can you understand our efforts for justice without the Holy Spirit? You couldn't in Antioch. There's a rising interest in racial justice these days, and I'm thankful for it. I'm glad for it. There's some good conferences out there, and then there's this one great conference that happens in New Life that's just amazing, it's phenomenal. There's some amazing books that are being written, some of the books that were on the, on the table. There's a curiosity about racially diverse churches. There's, there's advocacy for immigrants and refugees in some quarters. Thanks be to God. But here's something I've noticed. In some of these spaces of newly discovered biblical justice, you hear me with the newly discovered? In some of these spaces, we can forget about the Holy Spirit. 
Instead of following the examples of churches like Antioch, instead of following the examples of of some Christians of color in our own country, we turn justice into a project, into a plan, into a ministry. We hire somebody to lead justice. In too many places, we have turned justice into yet another form of fundamentalist self-righteousness competing for woke points. But there can be no genuine reconciliation without the Holy Spirit. The cultural status quo faced by the church in Antioch was too powerful. We can hear Paul's warning to the church in Ephesus, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is no conference, there is no book, there's no CDC, there's no march of resistance that's strong enough, powerful enough to resist the spiritual forces of evil. To paraphrase something, that I overheard my friend Jose Humphrey say one day, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation without the Holy Spirit is just rearranging furniture on a sinking ship. Pope Francis a couple of years ago called the Holy Spirit the forgotten one. And he said, we need to ask for his help, his strength, his inspiration. The Holy Spirit who has wholly animated the life and mystery of Jesus is the same spirit who today guides Christian existence. So how, how, how do we align ourselves with the spirit of reconciliation? Chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. You see, I've learned from my mentor, Reverend Brenda, that there can be no sustained justice without a supernatural work of God. If our rebellion against the spiritual forces of of racial oppression is to advance through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we've got to be nourished by that same spirit. So church... Don't reinvent the wheel. It's actually not that complicated. It's all over the Bible. Churches have been doing it for generations. We worship. We pray. You're not going to like this. We fast. And we listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then when the Spirit speaks, we obey. We obey. We nurture this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so let me ask you this question. In your efforts for racial justice and reconciliation, how much time is spent just listening and then responding to the Spirit? Is it all activity? Is it all excitement? Is it all strategy? How much time is spent listening and then obeying? Finally, The third way that the Holy Spirit instigates our rebellion is by preserving the church. After hearing from the Spirit, the church sent Barnabas and Paul to another city called Antioch. Many came to faith, including Gentiles. The reconciliation continues. But then comes the opposition, the persecution, and they're expelled. The status quo rejects them. It's a common theme in the book of Acts, and somebody in this room knows how this works. You've experienced this. 
If the Holy Spirit disrupts the cultural status quo, if the Holy Spirit reconciles across cultural hostility, then of course our culture, at least occasionally, is going to reject us. When Jesus told his disciples that they're going to have trouble in the world, it wasn't because the disciples had a few private beliefs that they kept to themselves. It's because they proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God and swore allegiance to Jesus alone. In other words, the disciples would be opposed by their culture because their gospel inherently disrupted the empire status quo. If anybody in the room today is new to the ministry of racial reconciliation and justice, I promise you there's some elders here who can testify to you to the rejection that is normal to this work. There are stories in this room of family members who have shut you out, of advocacy battles that you battled long for only to lose. There are stories in this room of powerful people who sought to silence you, of of pulpits you won't be invited back into, of paychecks and salaries that have been lost. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And many of you this morning know what that's like. Many of you this morning share this in common with Paul and Barnabas. You've been expelled from some places. You've been expelled by the status quo when you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the powers and principalities of injustice and segregation. You've been expelled by the status quo when you renounce the racial hierarchy for the righteous reconciliation of the beloved community. You've been expelled by the status quo when you stood up from societies built on racial supremacy and oppression in order to follow the Savior who was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But guess what, church? We don't. The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we belong to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so rejection is inevitable, which makes what follows so good and so important. After being rejected in that other city of Antioch, verse 52 of chapter 13 says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In the face of rejection, the Holy Spirit preserves us with joy. I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit preserves you. Some of you have been about the gospel and race life a long time. You've been arrested, some of you in this room, I know it. Some of you have been fired. You've been abandoned. Some of you have been co-opted and appropriated. Some of you have been sidelined for not assimilating, maligned for not cheering on American exceptionalism, confined to somebody else's narrow vision for your ministry. Some of you this morning are tired. You're tired of having to explain that, yes, in fact, racism exists. You're tired of not being believed about your experiences with white supremacy. You're tired of being overshadowed with those with deeper pockets and a profound self-interest in the status quo tired of not seeing progress when progress should have come a long time ago. You're tired of watching people walk away from this good thing. You're, you're tired of, of, of having somebody come up to you after you say that thing and say, next time just stick to the gospel. <laughs> Some of us this morning are tired. And so all I want to remind you today is this, you're here today. The Holy Spirit has kept you today. 
This is all I want to say to you about this. You have already been preserved. Yes, I know on a big scale, the Holy Spirit's going to keep and protect the church. I know the big picture is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. But I want to say to you personally, you have been preserved already by the Holy Spirit of the living God. I'm asking you to remember that today, especially the worn out and the tired and the discouraged and the cynical among us. If I can paraphrase some of the authors of the New Testament this morning for just a moment, the God of hope fills you with all joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope, not American optimism, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this one. When you believed in Jesus, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. The gospel came to you, sister and brother, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And don't forget that the same Spirit that raised Jesus to life is living in you breathing life into your mortal body today. The Holy Spirit has preserved you. What I'm trying to say to you is that any time a rebellion rises up to defy the empire, things can start to seem hopeless. The status quo appears to be too strong. The rebellion seems kind of kind of helpless, kind of kind of powerless, but then we remember we remember that the Holy Spirit has already preserved us, has already kept us, has already rescued us, shielded us, made a way for us. It reminds me of a song that some of you know. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not that pastor. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and he turned me around, how he placed my feet, somebody say it, on solid ground, it makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all of the praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit of the living God has kept you. The Holy Spirit has revealed you, has dwelled in you, has washed and sanctified you, has baptized you, has gifted you, has sealed you, has enlivened you, has renewed you, has strengthened you, has freed you with power and love and self-discipline. I'm almost done, Pastor Rich. I'm almost done. Holy Spirit-empowered rebels will defy this nation's racial oppression with the gospel of reconciliation. The Holy Spirit disrupts our status quo. The Holy Spirit nurtures your reconciliation. And thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit preserves the church and has preserved you. Let me close with what I said to our church a few weeks ago. After yet another instance of public racial injustice and trauma rocked our city, 
I said to them on that Sunday, and I say this to you, that despite its malicious intentions, this racially oppressive nation has not destroyed you. The devil cannot have you. And death has no claim on your life. You are loved by God. He has chosen you. And you might be tired this morning. That's okay. You might be afraid or angry this morning. And that's okay. Depression and despair might be nipping at your spirit this morning. But God has chosen you and kept you. The reconciling gospel of Jesus Christ has already transformed you at the deepest part of your inner being. And so this nation's status quo will one day go the way of the Roman Empire. (laughs) Can we testify today that injustice and oppression will die? Racism will die. White supremacy will die. Every idol which claims endless power over your life will go the way of all things and crumble in the wind blown apart by the breath of God, by the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. You might be tired, but you have been preserved. You might be worn out, but today you live and you move and you have your being held together by the spirit of the living God. And so may God be so gracious in our day, in our generation, to raise up a Holy Spirit instigated rebellion, to defy this nation's racial oppression with the gospel of reconciliation to the glory of our God and for the good of every single one of our neighbors. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would minister your truth to your church. I pray that you would continue to say to us exactly what it is we need to hear today. If it's a word of repentance, then I pray that we would repent. If we've gotten too cozy with the empire, I pray that you would repent us out of that place, Lord Jesus. If we have succumbed to the status quo in any way, Lord God, I pray that you would make that clear to our hearts. Jesus Your spirit is the one who nurtures our reconciliation. It's impossible without you. And we pray that you would move mightily in our communities, in our lives, and in our congregations to do what is impossible through human efforts and human wisdom. And Lord Jesus, would you convince us today that we are hidden in our Lord Jesus, that nothing in this life, nothing in heaven or on earth or below the earth can claim us because we have been marked and sealed by the spirit of the living God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Amen.